1: Hello everybody and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nathan Abrams, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Helene Myers about her new book, Movie Made Jews, An American Tradition. Helene Myers is a professor of English and McManus University Chair at Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. She is the author of Femicidal Fears, Narratives of the Female Gothic Experience, Reading Michael Shabon and Identity Papers, Contemporary Narratives of American Jewishness. Helene Myers, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Nathan. Um, Thanks so much for hosting me on the New Books Network. Delighted to be here.
1: Oh, well, it's great to have you. Helene, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself.
0: Okay, well, um, I grew up in New York, um, Brooklyn to be even more specific, um, where I had what I now only now understand to be the luxury of taking Jewishness for granted. I've spent the past 30 some odd years in Texas, uh, where I have certainly not had that luxury. So um, that means I very much consider myself a bicultural Jew. And my own experience has led me to be quite conscious about the geography of Jewish identity. It's also caused me to focus a great deal of attention in my scholarly work on intra-Jewish difference. And and quite honestly, to look for narratives that heal rather than exacerbate um, religious and political fault lines within American Jewish communities. my first book was about femicide, the killing of women in contemporary literature and and specifically how those plots plots stage feminist debates about female victimization. After that, um I turned my attention to American Jewish literature and film. So um the joke in my household is that I went from murder to menchlichkeit. Um mm-hmm. I should also mention that in recent years, I've become really committed to writing beyond the Academy. And um, so I write essays and reviews for uh, publications such as Tablet, The Forward, Ms. Magazine blog, the Jewish Women's Archive, and Lilith Magazine. And that sort of um, uh, public-facing scholarship is, is really important to me. So so that gives you, you know, that gives you a sense um, just a bit about me. Yes,
1: yeah, great. Thank you. Um, so how did you come to write Movie Made Jews?
0: Um, well, Nathan, there are, I think, really two major origin stories to Movie Made Jews. The first is, I think, a quite common academic one. Um, Movie Made Jews grew out of my previous book, um, which you mentioned in the introduction, um, titled Identity Papers, Contemporary Narratives of American Jewishness. That book was largely focused on the American Jewish literary renaissance. But I did manage to sneak a few films in there. Um, I, um, Bo- Boaz, Yaquins, A Price Above Rubies which is, I think, a really interesting flick about Jewish women's spirituality, and also um, Harvey Firestein's Torch Song Trilogy, which is really a classic queer Jewish film that I think is really terrific, despite its pernicious representation of the Jewish mother. As I was finishing Identity Papers, and I started to teach a course titled um, Real Jews, um, R-E-E-L, I realized that I had much more to say about American Jewish movies. And, you know, doing some preliminary research for what ultimately became movie-made Jews, I discovered that the American Jewish cinematic tradition is much richer and um, diverse than is generally recognized. So that's really one story of how um, Movie Made Jews came into being. But there's another origin story as well. I like to think that I have a pretty good sense of humor, but I'm also um, a serious cultural nerd and always have been. When um, when I was a young feminist critic coming into my own, I found myself... Um, Often appalled and incensed by the representation of women in films. And on occasion, people whom I otherwise really love and respect responded to my ire with um, some version of lighten up, it's only a movie. And so, in some ways, this book is a very particularist refutation of those fighting words. And I really do think of, you know, it's only a movie as fighting words. Um, I take culture seriously because it both reflects and shapes how we think about ourselves and how we think about others. So the basic premise of my book that movies help to make Jews is just one of the many reasons that those who say it's just a movie are woefully misguided and um i'm trying to be tactful and charitable here um when i'm not in a professional setting words more indelicate than misguided um would be likely to come out of my south brooklyn mouth
1: right right that's a very interesting premise that um you know the idea that movies make make jews hence the um, you know, there's the move there's the Jews in the movies, and then there's the Jews watching the movies, right? Oh,
0: absolutely absolutely. And um, you know, I think it's really important um, to say that when I first started writing this book, I was only paying attention to what was on screen. And um of course, I think what appears on screen in the films I discuss is pretty great. Um, However, as I started doing the research, I realized that the Jews that appeared on screen weren't the only Jews being made by these movies. Rather, directors and actors often talked about how making their Jewish movies impacted their own Jewish being and practice. And let me just give you a couple of examples. Making the Protocols of Zion um, caused director Mark Levin to um, rejoin a synagogue after years of being unaffiliated. Making 93 Queen, um, which is a film about the founding of a Hasidic Women's EMT Corps, gave Paula um, Isolt permission to embrace rather than compartmentalize her identity as a modern Orthodox filmmaker. The actor Doris Roberts was thrilled to be a part of Keeping Up with the Steins because she felt the film was a breath of fresh Jewish air. And um, then, um, you know, the more research I did, the more I realized that Jews were clearly being made and remade during production. And then I realized that watching Jewish movies also makes Jews. That is, helps to shape viewers' sense of themselves as Jews. So. Watching a screening of Milk at a JCC in California allowed queer Jews to experience queer Jewish pride and to feel represented even as they mourn the passing of an anti-gay marriage proposition. That's true, even though that Milk's Jewishness is really whitewashed in this otherwise stellar film. A Jewish feminist has her big mouth affirmed by Barbara Streisand. And <clears throat> wow, does that ever apply to me? Um, for one critic, the work and joy of Lador Vidor from generation to generation is done via um, a family screening of Enemies, a Love Story. For some Jews, an annual Jewish film festival is a powerful communal ritual. Um, like Passover or Rosh Hashanah. So when I invoke movie-made Jews, I'm not only talking about the Jews on screen, but also those behind the scenes and those munching on popcorn in theaters or on their couches. Um, Unanticipated research gold really led uh, directly to the production and reception angle of the book. Um, so, so absolutely, you know, absolutely, um, not just on the movie made Jews are not just those on the screen.
1: Oh, that's really fascinating. Um, do you have any kind of really famous examples of, um, Jews who maybe remade themselves? Um, I'm thinking of Steven Spielberg, um, perhaps with, um, um, Schindler's Lift.
0: No, absolutely um uh, well I gave you some of I gave you some you know examples though it's interesting that your question is fame you know is famous and um you're absolutely you're absolutely right um uh, Steven Spielberg really had you know really came to a sense of himself as a Jew in making Schindler's um in making Schindler's list and what I would say is, I think not only came not only came to more of a sense of his Jewishness, but also came to um, came to wrestle with the anti-Semitism that he had experienced in his youth. Um, you know i don't you know i don't do a lot with spielberg in um the book but you know quite frankly um i think that there are bits you know that you can begin um uh, that you can begin to see parts of coded um jewishness in um some of his earlier films including and in especially um including and in especially et um, so, um, but that's, that's for, you know, that's for another day and probably another book.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Um, well, obviously a question I will ask, I might save it a bit later is um, how you made your choices um, of what to include and not include in the book. Um, before I do that, perhaps you'd like to talk us through um, the structure of the book and, and why you, and how and why you decided to structure it that way.
0: Sure, sure. Um, I, let me give you um, let me give you a little bit of an overview of the book and then some things that I think make the book distinctive, which I think gets my decision making process. I should say that from the outset, I was more interested in tracing and helping to shape an American Jewish cinematic tradition rather than providing a survey of American Jewish cinema. Um, Given that, I thought it important to organize the book thematically, rather than chronologically. In the first half of the book, I focus on themes that are perhaps predictable, but are also profoundly important. For example, um, one of the one of my early chapters is devoted to anti anti semitism films, think Gentleman's Agreement* and its '90s remake *School Ties*, um, as well as Mark Levin's terrific documentary *Protocols of Zion*. And I, I mentioned um, uh, um, uh, uh, *Protocols of Zion* and um, Mark Levin as a director who um, really remade himself as a Jew as a, because of making this documentary. That, that documentary is about anti-Semitism after um, 9/11 and um, really resonates um, really resonates um, with um, the situation um, in the states today and you know quite frankly, um, uh, internationally. In um, the chapter titled "Looking at the Shoah from a Distance," I focus on films that indirectly represent the Holocaust and that I think usefully remind U.S. Jews that the Shoah happened elsewhere. And um, in that chapter, I talk about films like *The Pawnbroker*, *Enemies*, a love story, *Crimes and Misdemeanors*, and *A Serious Man*. Then there's a chapter, Assimilation and Its Discontents. That chapter treats films that represent the costs of assimilation, but also resistance to assimilation. And um, films like The Way We Were, Crossing Delancey, and um, Liberty Heights. You might remember that Liberty Heights ends with that wonderful scene where the young male protagonists crash a restricted swimming pool, they throw out a sign that reads "No Jews, dogs, and coloreds," and then they use letters that they have imprinted on their chests um, to spell out the word "Jew." It's really an it's really an incredible scene, and um, I would actually I thought fleetingly. Um, about having that um, scene be the cover on the cover of the book, but um, there were permission difficulties. And um, and actually, I love I love the um, image that's that, um, is on the cover. So that's the first that's the first half of the book. And as I said, I think that you know that that those themes you would expect to see in um, any book on American Jewish cinema. In the second half of the book, um, I move beyond the themes that we might um, think of as the usual suspects. There's a chapter titled Assertively Jewish on Screen um, that includes films that quite frankly, I think of as Jewy with a Vengeance. Um, These um, films uh, include Whatever Works, Fading Gigolo, Keeping Up with the Steins and Wish I Was Here, and um, this group of films features Jews that range from the rabidly secular to the traditionally, and you know, not so traditionally observant. Then I have a chapter titled Queering the Jewish Gaze. And in that chapter, I focus on films that perform the intersectional challenges of being twice blessed. Those films range from Kissing Jessica Stein to uh, Trembling Before God. In the Cinematic um, Alliances chapter, I chart a mini tradition of films that explore the possibilities and the challenges that um attend not only white Jewish black relations but also relations between um, Muslims and Jews and um and that seems to me the whole question of Muslim Jewish relations uh became i think much more important um post 9 and then in the in the epilogue i drive home my argument that American Jewish film history is a narrative of continuity and change, by focusing on two very different 2018 feminist documentaries, "93 Queen" and um, "RBG." So that um, so that really gives you a, an overview of the of the book and um, you know how I structured it. Um, I think. Maybe I should also mention two um two distinctive features of the book, and the first is for diverse reasons, I decided early on that this book was going to include both fiction film and um documentaries. And I also organized the book in such a way that you can either read it from start to finish and get a pretty sweeping narrative of American Jewish cinema, or you can consume it in smaller chunks, perhaps reading a section on a favorite film, reading about a film you've heard about, but you but haven't yet seen. And if you do that, um, there will be, all, you know, spoiler alerts, um, um, or reading about a film that you previously didn't know existed. And, you know, True Confessions, I organized it in those so that it was possible to consume it. the book in small chunks. I really wanted and hope that the book provides a watch list for readers. As, you know, as a writer, I want to show readers new ways to view films they already know well but i also want to introduce them to fabulous films that i think um deserve to be much more widely known so um so i hope that gives you and your listeners a, you know just a brief taste of the book
1: yes it does thank you um so would you like to talk about i mean you've mentioned some of the films you included um but would you like to talk a bit more about the choices you made um how you decided under the categories you mentioned which films to include and then which not to include, which is always a contentious uh, um, decision in in writing this kind of book, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that in some ways, I think that's why so much of the work on Jewish cinema in general and American Jewish cinema in particular turns into surveys, because the question, you know, the question is, well, if I include this, how can I not include that? Um, And, you know, and, you know, everybody's, everybody's going to be asking about that. And I, you know, I pretty much decided that I was going to include, first of all, I was going to include films that I was invested in um, for, you know, Often, for very different reasons, but that I was going to that I was invested in, and that I thought were important, that they were aesthetically significant, that they were culturally significant, that they um, uh, uh, took us in new directions and some new territory so so I just basically, as I said, I wanted to trace the tradition. But I was also very conscious that I was helping to shape a tradition. Um, And I was also conscious that, you know, I was also conscious that there was some books that there was a lot of discussion of and that people weren't going to miss much if I didn't include, so, you know, I don't feel like, I didn't feel like I, you know, I mentioned um, Schindler's List, but I didn't feel like I needed to do a full-blown reading of Schindler's List, and um, I mentioned Fiddler on the Roof and The Chosen and Yentl, um, uh, um, but I didn't feel like I needed to have, you know, a chunk of the book devoted to those films, and I, I should say that, you know, Yentl is one of my favorite films and leaving Yentl out was really hard for me, but I just thought, no, it's, you know, not, you know, not as necessary. So that's, you know, that's how, that's how I made some of those really um, hard decisions and what I would say is, and, you know, of course, both in talking to people just one-on-one and in being interviewed, invariably someone says, well, you didn't include this, so you didn't include that. And what I would say is, I hope that Movie Made Jews raises a whole set of questions about films. Um, and, you know, a specific, the specific set of films that I discuss, but I hope that people take those questions and those issues and those um, concerns and bring them to bear on the fa- their favorite films or their not so favorite films that aren't included, that aren't included in the book. And you know, so that is my hope that rather than be disappointed, that I give people some tools to bring to bear on other films and films that are you know, and the films that um, either have come out since *Movie Made Jews*, or um, uh, or that have yet to be made.
1: Okay, um, that's 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 very interesting. Um. Uh, Your answer throws up a couple of questions that I have. Um, I'll I'll deal with them in turn. Um, I think first, though, uh, out of all the films that you wrote about, which was your favourite?
0: Nathan, that's an impossible question. Um, It's akin to asking which of your kids is your favourite. And um, those of us who study Torah, Know that if you have a clear answer to that question, it's really not likely to go well for at least a part of the family, if not the whole Um, But seriously, as I've already indicated, I'm fairly invested in all of the films that I include in the book, um, although for sometimes radically different reasons. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to play favorites. But I let me highlight. Let me highlight just a few films here. Um, the way we were has really held up, not only in terms of Katie's story, um, but also because it turns the Jewish woman's gaze on WASP culture and finds that culture wanting. I think that um, from my perspective. Hubble is passing as much or much more than Katie is. He's selling his creative soul to make a buck in Hollywood and then to do TV in New York. He's really attracted to the creative, ethical, and political standards that Katie represents, yet they and she are ultimately too much for him. And that critique of dominant wasp masculinity makes this a really smart and radical film, um, even today. Similarly, in John Tuturo's Fading Gigolo, one of the protagonists is a Haredi widow, Avigal, played by Vanessa Pardis. As Avigal is figuring out her own sensual spirituality, she refuses to be cowed by secular cosmopolitanism or Judaic patriarchy. At first, it seems as, as if this is another, yet another narrative of a repressed, imprisoned, from woman. However, this film ends up suggesting that Haredi life has much to contribute to our thinking about ethics and erotic values. This twist is all the more precious when you take into account that none other than Woody Allen plays pimp to Totoro's gigolo. Um, Crossing Delancey is so much smarter and subtle than many of its critics realize. And, you know, honestly, the reception history of that film, as well as the reception history of Zach Graff's Wish I Was Here, definitely gets from me the um let me keep this clean the wtf award um and let me also let me give a shout out to beth crevance um documentary heart of stone which is about um white jewish alums of a new jersey high school who work to support a visionary black principal um um ron stone and um, and, um Ron Stone recognized the vulnerability and the potential of young Black men who join gangs to protect themselves. And um, and these white Jewish alums were really determined to support um, uh, that vision and to um, give those young Black men an education that could at least approximate the education they had received at the same high school years ago. So um, I'm going to stop there, lest I cover the entire table of contents in answering um, your favorite movie question.
1: So if I said you'd definitely um, put, um, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry up there with um, crossing Delancey, you're not going to be drawn.
0: No, (laughs) no, To Shay Nathan. Okay, I will get and um, I will give you, I will give you that, um, I will give you that crossing Delancey, um, is much higher on my list than I now pronounce you, um, Chuck and Larry.
1: <laughs> I know, I, 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 for one, I'm glad that you've included um, both types of movies. For what it's worth, um. Because you know, all too often we can miss the significance in films that uh, critics don't like, um, particularly Adam Sandler movies.
0: Right, right. That's exactly. And they
1: can have, yeah, they can have just as much to say.
0: That no, that's exactly right. And actually, I mean, as you you know, as you are well aware, I um some of my choices are um some of my some of my choices are so predictable and on the usual you know the usual suspects um I don't know anyone who would write you know who would um uh think that it was you know ridiculous to include a serious man in a book about American Jewish cinema but there are a number of other films that I include that, you know, um that were it, that were lambasted um in the mainstream press, though they might have been um they might have been taken seriously in the Jewish press. And then there are some that are lamba- that were lambasted in both the mainstream press and the Jewish press. But quite frankly, I thought that they were important for, you know, a, for a particular reasons um, and that I j- wasn't just going to go along um, uh, with, um, with uh, the, you know, with critical reception or with dominant critical reception. Um, and, you know, that quite frankly, you know, that's my, you know, that's that's my big writing mouth. And that's who I am as a, you know, that's who I am as a critic. Um, I certainly do my homework and I certainly think about what other people have said about these films, but I also trust myself as a viewer, a scholar and a cultural critic.
1: It's interesting because if, um, the film is, um, hated by, um, Say the Jewish press, particularly the community professionals, um, then that really is an endorsement for me. But uh, (laughs) that's just my view on on these movies.
0: (laughs) Right. I maybe we have. I think we probably have. Um. I think maybe we have some different relationships with um uh, um with community professionals and um just as all scholars um, are not alike not all community professionals are alike
1: yeah no, that that's a fair point that's a fair, and i also live in a different country so I, I you know a, i i
0: actually <laughs> was about to say that i think the community professional class um in the us is um fairly diverse and actually sometimes needs to um Needs to pay more attention to intra-Jewish difference and honor and uh, and embrace it rather than try to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, no, that's that, that, that's a that's a valid point. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask about, I suppose, is methodology. I mean, you, you've talked through, you know, particularly in the beginning, um, of, of our chat about how the um you know you're interested about looking behind the screen as it were how do you feel that that jewish film studies has has treated that that perhaps you know and I include myself in this we've tended just to look at what's on the screen and how your book has has challenged the boundaries there
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's sort of really, okay, thanks. Thanks so much for um, asking that. And I want to talk a little bit about how my book uh, has challenged that boundary as well as another um, um, boundary. Um, I think that especially in terms of, I I think especially in terms of um, the more survey type books. I think you're I think for the most part. You know, we always get some tidbits of what happens behind the screen. But I don't, you know, um, or, you know, off-screen, um, behind the scenes. Um, but we don't get a lot of that and we don't get it systematically. And I also I also don't think that we get a lot of serious reflection on what these films mean to different types of viewers so the reception angle what i would say is i think in film studies more generally there are plenty of there are plenty of studies of reception and there are plenty of studies on you know production I think, though, we tend to compartmentalize those studies. So it's either production, narrative, what's on screen, cinematography, reception. Um, And, you know, and quite frankly, that compartmentalization really bothered me. And so I was really determined to challenge it and to transgress those boundaries in writing movie made Jews. And I knew that that was, I, you know, I knew that there were some risks involved, um, but I thought that it was really neat. I thought that it was really needed. And so I went with it. The other boundary that um, that I want to um, mention that I um, that initially I really didn't think of as transgressing, but um, but I realized um, about halfway through the book I was is the uh, is including both documentaries and fiction film. I should tell you I was about halfway through the book. And I was talking to a friend who's a film scholar whom I really respect, and that person—I want to be very careful here and not identify—that person um, said that um, uh, I shouldn't mix documentaries and fiction films, and that that simply isn't done. And actually, that person was—that person basically said, "Don't do it," and basically said, "You can't do it." I'm halfway through this book and I was, you know, I was pretty shook up and I certainly talked to other people um, about that, you know, that decision. Um, And ultimately I decided that not only could it be done, but that it it should be done, but that I also had a responsibility to explain um, the, the boundaries, but but the porous boundaries between those forms of film. And that, you know, so I want us just to think about this. You know, documentaries make use of aesthetic features used in fiction films. Characters, narrative, narrate, or sound. And fiction films are often historically informed or even historically based. Um, you know, biopics are perhaps the most obvious example. In addition, at film festivals in general and at Jewish film festivals in particular, not to mention streaming platforms, viewers experience both types of films. So it really makes sense for a book about the American Jewish tradition to include um, to include both. So I think both in terms of including, you know, behind the scenes and reception, but also in putting together documentaries and fiction films, I think that I've in some ways challenged, um, uh, you know, some of the ways we conceptualize traditions. And um, and I did I did so ultimately, um, uh, um, very intentionally knowing that I was taking, knowing that I was taking risks, but also quite frankly, feeling like it needed to be done and um, being willing to take those risks.
1: Yeah, that, yeah that, that's very interesting. Um, the the other question that occurs to me, I mean, you've talked about the kind of um, history of the writing about Jews on film in, in the United States to my mind this still is a limited field um there aren't that you know like you said there's just a few books and and primarily surveys why do you think that is so what do you if you feel that's a fair characterization
0: yeah no I think that um okay so I think that I don't want to say I don't want to say internalized anti-semitism but I think that there is an inferiority complex about American Jewry, and therefore, about American Jewish film. Um, so I think that's part of what's going on. And I you know, as someone who is both a literature and a film scholar and has written on American Jewish literature and film, I, it's amazing to me how much there's a sense of somehow somehow american jewish literature and film isn't good enough or isn't jewish enough you get into that whole you know too jewish or you know or you know not jewish enough whatever those terms mean so i think that that's i think that that's one issue i also think that there's an issue of that um that people feel like people feel like there really isn't a tradition that we you know that you know and I found this I found this in sort of you know online commentaries people who are really into film and are very serious about Jews um and their own Jewishness would say oh well, you know, I, you know, can name all these films, but I can't, you know, I don't think that there's really a lot of good Jewish films. And, or I'm ashamed to say, I really, you know, I really can't come up with, you know, um, anything other than, you know, Woody Allen, who is obviously so problematic um, um, right now. And so that there's this sense of people not, and I think that this applies not only to general viewers but also to scholars. There's a sense that there really isn't that much here. And what I would say is, you know, when I once I started doing the research, I thought, "Wow, is is that wrong?" Um, and I also think that the survey model you sort of include everything. And so then people, you know, so that there's almost too much and you get overwhelmed. So there's so much Jewishness that then, you know, there's almost anything sort of um, uh, um, really more in depth gets lost. So I think, so, you know, um, I'm, I think that it's, it's, it's about you know so much that then there's you know it's everywhere but nowhere in particular it's um it's a sense of you know a sense of american jewish inferiority and it's the you know it's the mistaken notion that there really isn't that much there and some of those overlap and some of those um some of those contradict one another but i think that they accumulate um, to um, they accumulate to um, mean that people don't think that there's there's really um, there's really enough material to write yet another book on American Jewish cinema
1: thank you that's that's very interesting um, well Helene, Helene uh, we've taken up a lot of your time but before you go, would you like to tell us what you're working on now?
0: I have a couple of projects percolating, uh, that I'm not quite ready to talk about. Um, I tend to write shorter essays and reviews as I figure out the shape of book projects. Um, but let me, um, let me talk briefly about two recent, uh, pieces that indirectly relate to movie made Jews that might be of interest to listeners. um. Aftershock, which is a documentary by um, Paula um, uh, Isalt and Tanya Lewis-Lee about the epidemic of Black maternal mortality and what can be done uh, to stop it, recently premiered at Sundance, and it's also going to be shown at um, South by Southwest. It's really terrific, and um, my review of it appears in uh, Lilith. And um, you might remember that I mentioned Iselt, her debut film was 93 Queen, which I discuss in the book. And um, she is clearly a director to watch. Um, I also just wrote a piece about Therese uh, Schechter's My So-Called Selfish Life. It's a really smart um, documentary about women who choose to remain child-free. And um, I wrote that um, piece for the Jewish Women's Archive. Uh, the J- Interestingly enough, the J word is never used in the film, but there's a strong Jewish subtext throughout. And, um, and recently talking about movie made Jews to a group at the Stephen Wise Temple in um, LA reminded me how much I love to do um, adult education. So um I'm always happiest when my writing life and my life as an educator um commingle. So, you know, that's what that's what I'm up to these days.
1: Well Helene, that sounds great. And um we look forward to um reading what, what whatever you come up with next. Um when and 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 do let us know when 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 that's ready for us to read and we'll have you back on the show. Um, But for now, I'd like to say thank you very much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it. And take care.
0: Thank you, um, Nathan, um, for hosting and um, really, really a pleasure to talk with you.